In business, you rarely hear the expression for life. You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and, and there's, a, there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 weight loss. Allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 weight loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to Awaken180WeightLoss.com. The views or opinions expressed during this podcast from our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of our hosts or the school. Hello and welcome back to episode three of the Listen Up Levcast. I'm your host, Salvatore, and I'd like to say a massive thank you to everyone who has supported this podcast so far. Now, today's episode is another special one as I'm joined by founder of the incredible charities Childline and The Silver Line, as well as journalist, writer and TV personality who has been in I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here and various quiz shows like The Chase. She was the host of the TV series That's Life for 21 years. It's Dame Esther Anson. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me. That's okay. Go on. First of all, Dame Esther, we've been in a few lockdowns over the past year. So how have you been doing? Well, I locked myself down quite early. I came to the New Forest on March the 14th. I don't think Boris locked us down until the 23rd last yeah. year. So um, it's obviously got its pluses and minuses. The big minus is it's very difficult to meet people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are lots of important people in my life that I miss a lot. Um, but it stopped me being quite so busy. And I think that was sensible because I don't know what I was busy doing. You know, you can get addicted to it. Yeah. And I think I was. I think I, I needed to have, you know, eight or 10 things in my diary every day. And I really don't know why. And in fact, my children thought I was balmy <laughs> and told me so. So in some ways, it's made me reassess the priorities in my life which I think is probably sensible. Yes, very. And um, you're well known for being the presenter of the BBC TV series That's Life from 1973 to 1994, and it became staple viewing for the British people every Saturday and later Sunday night. Many parents or teachers will have watched it, but for the students who don't know what it is, could you tell them how it started and what it was about? Well, it was a consumer programme. If you've ever seen Watchdog or Rip Off Britain, that's where it started. But um, as we got more and more phone calls and more and more letters from viewers, they began to ask for our help in different kinds of problems. For example, um, a, a mum wrote to us and said that her daughter, I think it was quite young, was playing in a playground and just standing on the bottom step of the slide she was quite little and she fell and she hurt herself very badly mm. and she said why is it that children's playgrounds have got concrete or tarmac 
as surfaces. So we started to look into it and found that nobody had collected the figures of children who were badly hurt falling from equipment in playgrounds. So then we looked at what was happening around the world and we found in Germany, for example, they had rubberized surfaces which mm -hmm. children could bounce and not hurt themselves. So I started to demonstrate in the studio with a china plate, dropping it on the concrete where it smashed to smithereens and then another one dropping it on the rubberized surface where it was completely undamaged. And you only have to offer the British public good information mm. and they will take it aboard and use it. So, so all over the country, parents were going to local councils and to schools and to say, we can't have this, this is dangerous for our children. And once I demonstrated it on the program, insurance companies realized that if they didn't suggest to schools and local authorities that they put safe surfaces in playgrounds, people would sue the schools mm. or the local councils and get lots of money. And insurance companies don't like losing a lot of money. Not that anybody likes losing a lot no, of money, of but insurance companies particularly don't like it. And that is why to this day, you will see playgrounds all over Britain, whether it's in schools or in parks, or have safe surfaces, sometimes the wood chips, sometimes the rubber surfaces. So we were able to change a lot. And that wasn't really consumerism. That was, we, we talked about transplants, we talked about child abuse. Um, we talked about all kinds of subjects and we had a studio audience. So we had lots of jokes as well. We had a dog that could talk. You'll find him on uh, YouTube. Um, I really recommend three German Shepherd dogs, Alsatians, and soda water siphon. Just put dogs in soda water siphon and you'll see a German version of our film. So um, we did lots of things. Perhaps the most famous piece of film you can find was on Facebook. And it was when we discovered that a lovely man called Nicholas Winton had yes. saved lots and lots of Jewish children from the Holocaust. And without telling him in advance, we sat him next to two ladies he didn't realize had been two children on the trains that he oh, created wow. the, the sort of rescue mission with. And they didn't realize they were sitting next to the man that saved them. So that's a jolly good bit of television, though I say it shouldn't. So you see, it was a, it was a magazine program, we called it, because um, there were so many different items of different kinds. And there's nothing on television at the moment like it. So I can't compare it with anything that you've seen. Talented pets, how to save babies' lives, everything. If it, if it happened in real life, then we could put it in that's life. Do you think something that's probably similar to it now, I know it's not exactly the same, but you've done a bit of work for them, is The One Show? Um, it's a bit like it. A bit, but they haven't yeah. got an audience. No, Their jokes no. aren't quite funny. <laughs> It's a very good program. It's um, it's edited by a friend of mine, but um, I think even he would say it's not quite the same. It gets about four or five million. We got about 20, 22 million. Amazing. And, and would you think that it could ever come back? Would you be willing to make it come back? Well, I think they'd need me. I say that yeah. because I'm very conceited and also because I've seen people try and fail. <laughs> and I, that's quite satisfying <laughs> I bet and um, from That's Life um, 
you of course founded the charity Childline in 1986 and then later on in 2012 uh, the Silverline. So for those who don't know could you explain what brilliant work they do? Well the Childline started as a phone line for children who needed help to ring up because they knew it was confidential and they mm. could do that safely without anyone knowing. And for children who were suffering abuse or neglect, that was really important. That they felt safe asking for help. Nowadays, you can get in touch with Childline online. You can send emails, you can have online chat. We've got a message board, have a look at the website and you'll see lots of ways that Childline is helping young people still. And that was so successful that when I realized that there were older people who were very lonely, weren't talking to anybody, et cetera, I thought maybe they could do with a, a, a phone line. So we've set up the Silver Line, which is free and confidential also. And um, it, a, a lot of people ring it. So mm. in these days when it's so difficult to help people face to face because we're all being kept separate, aren't we, by yeah. the lockdown, it's um, when you've got a phone line, it's fine because it works perfectly well. The only thing is that we've lost quite a lot of our volunteers because they had to shield themselves or go into lockdown course, and they yeah. couldn't come and work with us. So that's, that's a shame, but we're doing the best we can. We're trying very hard to meet the demand. Yeah, it's been tough times and I'm sure they've been doing some amazing hard work as well. And um, has joining forces with Age UK helped? Oh, enormously because mm very very difficult to raise money for charity these days particularly because the charity shops have shut mm. and you can't run fundraising events anymore but um i think it's particularly difficult to raise money for charities with older people yes i don't know yeah. how that is but it just is a fact if you have a look at the list of the most popular charities in england you'll see that there aren't any charities working with older people in the top 10 or the top 20 wow. or the top 30 or the top 40. Age UK comes in at number 46. So it made a huge difference to Silver Line. I don't think we could have survived at all if we hadn't merged with Age UK. So oh, we're really? very yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, you and Childline also merged with the NSPCC. Has that helped as well? Absolutely. Um, and that's what enabled us to start our online services. Course, and yeah. it's very important. I think, it, I think it's okay to start a little charity. If you think of a particular need and you, and you know that those people need help, you can start a charity and see if you can provide that help. But after a while these days, I think it's probably a good idea to merge with a bigger charity because it's so hard. Mm. Although... Although you will have noticed that we've just lost a fantastic fundraiser called Captain Sir Tom. Yes, and, exactly. Uh, he, he had the magic touch. He managed to raise millions and millions of pounds for the NHS, people who work in the NHS. So it can still be done, but it's very hard. You don't get many Captain Toms. No, you don't. He was an incredible man, yeah. Right. And do you feel that Captain Sir Tom Moore has um, impacted older people in a positive way this lockdown? Have they been more in touch with the silver line? I think he's given us all hope, whatever mm. 
age we are, he had this wonderful saying, which was, tomorrow will be better. Mm. Tomorrow will be a better day. And I think if we all believe that, it enables us to move forward. I certainly think he proved, as the Queen proves and David Attenborough proves, that in your 90s, you can still be incredibly valuable and do amazing work. Yeah. So I think that is a good thing. Exactly. Yeah. And um, in regard to Childline, what more do you think schools can do with domestic abuse cases? Okay, well, there's something called Operation Encompass, which Mm -hmm. is a charity I'm a patron of. And what they do is when there's been domestic abuse in a family and the police are called, if there are children in that family, even if the children have not been hurt and are maybe asleep in bed, the police confidentially tell the school. And it's very important because then the school knows if there have been problems at home which may have dis- distressed the child or the, or the children. And if you want to know more about it, and if schools want to know more about it, it's called Operation Encompass. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Very valuable work. And um, so going back to the start, whilst you were a researcher and reporter for the um, great Canadian actor and comedian Bernard Braden, Did you learn anything from him or that experience that helped you in your career? I think he taught me everything. I was then able to put into practice. He taught me that television reaches into people's homes. So Mm -hmm. if you can persuade viewers that you care what's happening to them, they will get in touch with you and tell you. So that's point one. Um, Point two, he taught me how to tell a story on television so that You don't stare fixedly at the camera, not blinking, appearing to have gone into rigor mortis, but you occasionally (laughs) look away, look back, you make it conversational, you put it into question and answer because people follow your argument better. So there's an awful lot I learned from Bernie. He was incredible. I owe him a huge amount. That's brilliant. Um, And now on to your uh, TV career um, later on. In 2008, you were in your um, own your own story on who do you think you are? And it took quite an unexpected turn when tracing back your family history. Could you talk us through that? Well, here's my bit of advice. I am old enough to hand out advice, whether you like it or not. So here's <laughs> my If there's someone in your family that nobody talks about, somebody whose name never crops maybe you don't even know their name beware. (laughs) I thought I had a really respectable, boring family. In fact, I complained about it at the beginning of the program. I said, you know, I wish somebody in my family would do something a little bit interesting. My great grandfather, whose name I did not know, and about whom nobody ever spoke, killed the parlour maid accidentally when he was playing with a loaded gun. Playing with a loaded gun? How could you do such a thing? Anyway, she was, she was sweet. She lasted 10 days and during those 10 days she said, you know, he was desperately upset and uh, it was an accident. Okay, I believe that. But then when he was in his 30s, he somehow disappeared. He, by then he was a lawyer with a lot of his clients' money. Oh no. And went to America. <laughs> And his wife 
my great grandmother divorced him. I can only say rightly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then in his 90s, late 80s or 90s, he came back to England with a new wife, Ethel Mary Charlton. And um, the Home Office official allowed him to renaturalize. He'd become an American citizen and he wanted to become a British citizen again. And the, there was a note on his request, which said that he was a charming, harmless old gentleman. <laughs> anyway, I didn't know any of that, any of it. So all I say to you is, if there's someone in your family that nobody talks about and you may not even know their name, beware. <laughs> Good advice. The other thing, Salvatore, I will discover, in case you get away with the fact that I'm only related to murderers, is I was <laughs> also, I also discovered, which I didn't know, that I was related to one of the richest men of his time called Barney Bernardo. Wow. Who owned, <laughs> he owned a whole diamond mine and I have visited the Kimberley diamond mine that once he owned. Amazing. Wow. How was that? How was that to go and visit? Well, it was amazing. I'm yeah. afraid I don't think there are many diamonds left. It's called the big hole now. Yes. Because people yes. dive down. Yeah. Well, not a lot of diamonds lying around on the ground, are there? Nope. <laughs> and, and not a lot of the money came down to my side of the family, but still it's rather fun, rather fun to stand in the mine and think, gosh, once my great, 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 great uncle owned all this, good heavens. <laughs> That's amazing. And um, also in 2008, after that, you went on, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. How was that experience for you? I loved it. It was super. Mm. There you were in a sort of green valley with a stream running through it and the owners of the farting of cameramen hiding in the rocks. And uh, it was lovely. And of course, you had a bit of, uh, I, I was buried underground in a coffin, which was chained down while they showered me with all kinds of creepy crawlies. So you had occasions like that. But I really enjoyed it. I always say if a, if a helicopter landed there and someone said, get in this, Esther, you're going back <laughs> to the I'd, I would immediately scramble into the helicopter with great pleasure. Don't ask me about Strictly Come Dancing. That no. was much difficult. Uh, did you learn? Did you learn a lot from Strictly Come Dancing? Well, I learned, which I think I knew already, that I am not one of nature's natural dancers. <laughs> but I also um, became firm friends with Anton Dubeck, who is mm. a lovely man, and uh, we're still friends. And uh, he helps me a lot with my charities. So um, that's brilliant. Yeah. So I'm really pleased to have done that. And what, what would you say your best TV moment apart from That's Life would be? Ah, that's a good question. Well, fun when I was captain of our team on the chase. Yes. We beat the chaser. You did. Not many people get to do that. No, that was rather fun. I've never won the jackpot on Pointless. I've been on it twice and I've got as far as the head-to-head -head, and I've never won the jackpot. That is a tough show, that one. Really tough. It's a tough show. And my problem is that I know a little about a lot of things, but to <laughs> win the jackpot, you have to know a lot about something quite specialist. Yes, yes. And so I don't... Sometimes when I'm sitting at home, I shout the answer sometimes, but very rarely. So... Now, you in 2010, you took a turn into politics and you stood for election to Parliament in South Luton. Why was that? And do you regret not standing for election before? 
Um, I did it because for the worst possible reason, here's another, another bit of advice. Never, ever do something because you're angry, ever. Yeah. I was angry. I was angry because a lot of MPs had charged me as a taxpayer a lot of money to do stuff that was nothing to do with their job. Yeah. One of them, the one in Luton South, spent over £20,000 getting dry rot out of a house that wasn't in Luton and wasn't in Westminster. So what did it have to do with their work? Nothing. So I got angry and uh, decided I would stand as an independent candidate. Now, obviously, our political parties in this country mop up nearly all the votes. You either mm-hmm. vote Labour or you vote, vote Conservative or you vote Lib Dem or you vote, you vote for a party. Um, very, very few people ever vote for an independent and very, very few people voted for me. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't do it again. You was a popular figure though. Why do you think that not many people voted for you? Well, when I was in the jungle, I talked to someone who had also stood for election. He was a television presenter called Robert Kilroy Silk. And he said to me, don't do it, Esther, because although they will shake your hand, they will cross the road to tell you how glad they are that you're there and you you can certainly count on their vote, but you can't because when the moment comes, they will go into the polling booth and they will vote the way they've always voted because we are a tribal nation. Yes. And he was completely right. Completely <laughs> right. And you um, then received the damehood as well. How did you feel when you uh, were notified that you was going to receive that? Well, they send you a letter. And I remember opening the letter and I looked at it rather stunned. But my daughter was with me and she read it over my shoulder and she started to jump like a kangaroo around <laughs> my flat. So... I tell you what, it happened after my husband died and my husband would have been so thrilled. Mm. And so I was a bit sad in a way that he wasn't there because when I got my OB, he celebrated with a wonderful family party and I know he would have liked to do the same. So I did have a little party, but it wasn't the same without him. No, of course not. And um, I'm sorry for your loss, I know it was a few years ago. Um, who, who gave you your damehood? Was it the Queen? It wasn't. The Queen gave me my OBE. OBE. And then Prince Charles gave me my CBE. And then Princess Anne gave me my DBE. So you had the full lot? I had the full lot. <laughs> did you have any conversations with them? I did. You're not supposed to tell anyone. No, you're not, no. <laughs> uh, but I remember Princess Anne warned me that my, the brooch she was pinning on my dress, because that's what happens when you're a dame, was a bit sharp. So I had to be careful. <laughs> and um, of course, you're a journalist. You've written in columns in many newspapers as well. And have you got any advice for someone, a student who would like to get into journalism? Can you think of anybody who might like to get into journalism? I might, maybe. <laughs> if you meant that. Well, let me tell you, Salvatore, I've been listening to your questions and yes. you, have, you have done research, all of which was accurate. That is not always the case. You know, people ask me all kinds of questions. Some people talk to me and call me Dame Edna 
because I think she's <laughs> more famous than me. Okay, so the first thing you've done is you've done really good research. Okay, thank you. Then I think you've asked the right questions. You've asked me questions which made me think. Mm -hmm. okay? So you've asked very good questions. Uh, you wrote a very good letter of invitation, which is why I've done this with you. Um, so you're very persuasive. Thank you. <laughs> so I think those are the three top attributes you will need as a journalist. And then you also need to have something which you either have or you haven't. You have to have an instinct for a story. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if you've got that instinct, that's fine. You've certainly got the other three. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> and um, my final question is, why did you want to get into journalism in the first place? So you started off, you, was, um, you went to Somerville College in uh, Oxford. What, what was the change from there? My father worked for the BBC. Mm -hmm. And we had a television very early on because he was one of the people that developed it. So we got one in 1946, as soon as we could, when the war ended. And I became aware that it was a fantastic way to tell stories. And I thought to myself, if, there, if there's something that people really need to know, I always thought that, you know, that, that, that sometimes there's information which helps people and is very useful. Television would be a good way to do that. Yeah. So I became a television journalist. I've never worked newspapers except as writing guest columns for them but I've never been on the staff of a newspaper my husband was trained first on local newspapers and then um, on the Daily Mirror before he came into television so I've sort of done it the other way around and I once asked him if he thought it mattered that I never worked on a newspaper he said no he didn't think it did he think he thought that I'd been trained just as well as a television journalist as I would have been as a newspaper journalist. But I think it's, it's about having a curiosity about people. So I suppose I'm a bit nosy <laughs> and a desire to tell stories. I suppose those are the two things you need as a journalist. And that's true. Yeah. And um, if you look back on your career, are there any regrets at all or have you fulfilled everything you, you wanted to do? or had the opportunity to do? Well, I'm very sorry I didn't learn to ballroom dance a little earlier in my life because I might have <laughs> been less of an appalling partner for Anton. I'm also quite sorry I've never learned to knit. There are things okay. I can't do, and also I can't use chopsticks. Can you not? <laughs> no. All my children have tried to teach me. So you could say those are regrets. I should have, I, if I could go back to my childhood, I would make sure that I learned how to knit, how to use chopsticks and how to bore and dance. Well, that actually brings us to the end of our podcast. So um, thank you for joining me today, Dame Mester. It's been an honour to have you on. Uh, you've been amazing. I hope everyone enjoyed that and make sure to follow and listen to us on Spotify Apple Podcasts and subscribe to us on YouTube. So please stay safe and stay at home. See you all next time. And uh, can I echo that? Please look after yourselves. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. In business, you rarely hear the expression for life. 
you make a purchase for a product, for a service, and, and there's, a, there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 weight loss. Allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 weight loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to awaken180weightloss.com. 